your subconscious mind does not know the difference between something real and something vividly imagined. So the more you can focus on what you want, the more your subconscious mind is going to see it as real in its mind. And thus, the future is already happening. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. By embracing all complexities of being a woman, our goal is to share real stories that inspire growth and empower all women to be the best versions of themselves. And as Maya Angelou so eloquently said, when we know better, we do better. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Okay, so we are so excited in this episode. We are sitting with Kimberly Spencer, who is the founder of Crown Yourself. She's an award-winning coach and also an Amazon best-selling author and entrepreneur. And if that's not enough, she also hosts her own podcast, The Princess and the Bee. And the B stands for business, boys, body babies, and bank account. So Kimberly, you have done so much with your personal life, your career. We really would love to hear the inspiration behind Crown Yourself, what your motivation is, and what you're doing right now to help women. Well, Crown Yourself was really inspired by a point of desperation because I was sitting on a couch on my honeymoon with my husband. And prior to that, I had been a part of an e-commerce company. So I'd been a partner in the e-commerce company. We launched a product taking it to market. It was on like the big screen in Times Square. I would pitch it at the first round of Shark Tank auditions. Like it was starting to build traction. And three months before I was supposed to get married, my business partner tells me he wants to buy me out. And that crushed me. Those three months of having every belief that I had conquered in every other area because I'd never doubted myself in my career or in business. I knew that whatever business or industry I was in, because I've kind of industry hopped a bit, um, I would be successful. I got my first film uh, produced and distributed by Lionsgate. It's out on Netflix um, when I was 24. I had the opportunity to write it when I was like 22. I launched a private Pilates studio in Burbank. I was the president of an e-commerce startup. Like I was able to do some some pretty fun and, and epic things because I was always very audacious and courageous with with my voice when it came to my career. But in my um, the other areas of my life, uh, my body and my my relationships prior to my husband now were a little riddled with some self-limiting beliefs of doubt, of feeling not enoughness, self-loathing even, um, not deserving and that resulted in me being in abusive relationships. It resulted in me um, having an abusive relationship with my own body for 10 years with bulimia. And so when I was on my honeymoon with my amazing husband, I had just, I literally signed the buyout agreement three weeks before I got married. And going through those three months of negotiations, I had professionals, quote unquote, like, professionals, they, they are professionals, but they were professionals that, that, you know, we hold them to a standard because they're a lawyer and lawyers, when they're not on your side, don't generally send you the nicest emails. <laughs> and 
So these professional men brought every fear that I had about myself, my age, my gender, uh, my personality, how sparkly I am, how girly I am, how um, all, all the things to light as to why, you know, in the negotiations process as to why I shouldn't have what I wanted to negotiate for. And, and that was so challenging for me to see. And it caused me to question like, oh, if these professional older men are thinking that, you know, maybe I'm too young or I'm too inexperienced or I don't have a college degree or all of these beliefs, suddenly they were brought to light. And I was in a sort of vacuum wondering what I was going to do when I got back home after my honeymoon. And while I was brainstorming with my husband, we were looking at all the areas of, of my life that I had that I had achieved something in. So I'd achieved some things in my career. I, I had conquered a 10-year battle with bulimia with no psychological or medical intervention. I'd gotten through abusive relationships and found the love of my life and an amazing man who is now just watching our children. <laughs> and and I thought, you know, and I loved health and I loved uh, fitness to a degree, but I never wanted to be the fitness or the Pilates person. Like, I, and I loved writing and I loved um, teaching and I loved pageants. And I, I had way too many espressos that morning, unlike today. And I leaped <laughs> off the couch and I said, crown yourself. And my husband's like, what's that? I said, I have no idea, but that's the name of my company. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, but it's something like Marie Forleo, a blog. I don't know. I didn't have clarity as to what I was going to do. So I just started doing what a high achiever typically does. And I just started doing. The problem was, was that I was spinning my wheels without that level of clarity. And so for a year and a half in my business, I made zero dollars. Um, not only because I was spinning my wheels with a lack of clarity, doing what I call productive procrastination, which is where you're doing all the things except the one thing that deeply scares you, which for me, that was rejection and sales um, and speaking out and using my voice and going on podcasts. And the other piece was I was being led by all these beliefs, the beliefs of uh, comparison, the beliefs uh, around blame, around blaming my former business partner, around blaming myself for feeling like I let myself down and I... Uh, feeling like I lost my company, um, blame uh, and shame and complaining. I was a complaining negative Nelly, and I normally am not, which <laughs> which is why when I get into a space in any area of my life, when I'm like start to complain, I re that's an immediate signal for me to be like, whoa, let's check the belief system. And so it wasn't until after a year and a half, I started like pulling myself out slowly from this like fog of plagiarized programming of other people's, you know, beliefs that they had projected onto me of, or that I had thought they had projected onto me and that I had accepted as true. Um, that I started to pull myself out of this fog, but it was a slow process. And then I found out I was pregnant and suddenly I had a nine month deadline to fix this. <laughs> so I, I, Realize, Nothing like a deadline to keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah. Nothing like a, like a very clear and visceral deadline of something growing inside of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I realized the, the, the woman that I had become, the mindset that I had, the complaining, the shaming, the doubting myself, that wasn't the woman that I wanted to raise my son, especially when I found out he was a boy. I want, I want my sons, both of them, to grow up respecting women and seeing women as goddesses, as queens 
who they can rule alongside with. It's not a competition. I knew that I wasn't being that, quite frankly. And even though my brand and I had done all the photo shoots and I had got the fancy website and I got the nice logo and I wrote some nice blogs, even though my brand was standing for ownership, I had to first own my shit because I wasn't owning the mistakes. I wasn't taking personal responsibility and ownership for the fact that my business partner hadn't been a part of my life for a year and a half. And yet somehow I was still blaming him for my past and and for my results. And eventually, and that was the same uh, belief system that I realized with bulimia as well. Like I grew up in a home with an addict and a codependent and bulimia was my way of controlling the situation. And eventually in order to start healing, I had to stop blaming my dad for my eating disorder. I had to realize that it was never him shoving my finger down my throat. That was me. And so it first started with really taking personal responsibility and ownership. And that's why ownership is the foundation of crown yourself. It's our core value. And of course, own is in crown. So it makes sense. Okay. So first I just have to compliment you. I love the part about owning your shit because a lot of what we're talking about, let's embrace who we are. Let's embrace our past. Let's embrace our trauma. Let's honor it. Um, let it have its place. And then let's figure out how we become um, thrivers, not yeah. survivors. And so, you know, it's 2022. So for some of us, that's where we kind of like take a new look at what is the year going to bring us? It's, is it a fresh start? Do we want to change? You know, maybe we are high producers in our job in terms of like sales, or we're in these positions that we have, you know, gained or grown to. Maybe we want to double that or triple that or anything regarding transformation. Maybe mm-hmm. it's as simple as we want to work-life balance. Talk to us about that. I, I, I assume you are working with women that are in these powerful positions, but there's something, maybe they're plateauing, maybe they've lost motivation. What are you doing to help them level up? So it first always starts with owning your shit. <laughs> like, Owning, and I call it the Annifer, um, the Anne Hathaway, Jennifer Lawrence paradigm. So back in 2013, uh, both of Anne Hathaway and Jennifer Lawrence were up for Academy Awards. And the press loved Jennifer Lawrence because she was so authentic and raw. And she was, you know, sharing how she ate McDonald's right before she went to the Oscars. And they were hating on Anne Hathaway. And what it brought up as I studied Uh, more and more about psychology and about performance is that the reason why they were hating on Anne Hathaway and Anne Hathaway in later articles has said that she hate, that she was like silently suffering, did not like, you know, was, it was the worst time of her life around the time that she was receiving her Academy Award and she was trying to fake it. And she was pretending like everything was okay and all was fine. And she was just struggling. And that we as human beings, we feel on a subconscious level when something is off with someone else. When something is, when someone is not being 100% authentic, sometimes we can't put our nose on it. We can't put our finger on it, but we, we aren't sure what that is. So we actually, it's a psychological principle that we, when something, the more perfect something starts to seem to be and try to appear, the less we trust it. The more raw and real and authentic we are about who we are, about what we're bringing to the table, about the mistakes, the messes, just owning both the, and and not just owning the shit, owning the successes, owning the fact that you just closed 
half a million dollars in sales. Like owning the fact that you just like one of my clients, she working with her, we took her business from 1 million um, and doubled it within just a few short months um, to 2 million. And then she had, and with that, she, she struggled to own her successes. And that's a big thing with women, especially because there is a lot of patriarchal conditioning where we have not like, have been taught to like be humble and meek about our successes and not really own it. And I, I just interviewed uh, an amazing doctor, Dr. Valerie on my podcast, who wrote the book about patriarchal stress disorder. And she pointed out to me that was such like an aha moment that women have only been allowed to make money for the past like 200 years or so compared to thousands of years of generational programming. So first we got to start addressing the subconscious mind. Like sometimes like we take responsibility for our stuff, but that doesn't also mean that we, it was all our fault. I think there's a very big difference in delineation that we need to make, especially as high achieving women that between ownership and owning our mistakes and our successes and putting ourselves at fault. Because I've seen so many high achieving women put themselves in the villain space and the victim space, which really messes with your paradigm, your subconscious paradigm of what you believe you deserve. Because when something, when we fail or something, or when we have an experience that, um, that just challenges us, when, when bad stuff happens to good people, especially when it's us, especially for high achievers, when we take that ownership and we put ourselves at fault and we think, oh, well, I guess it must have been my fault who caused it. We're both the victim of a circumstance and then we put ourselves in the villain space. And so then we're just at war with ourselves. And so first we got to remove ourselves from being at war with that. Look at what part was our responsibility in, in the circumstance. Because like I tell my communication queens, you are 100% responsible for your communication. The other person is 100% responsible for their communication. So it's not up to you to fix them or try to have them communicate in a certain way. You can use influence and persuasion to guide. You can, you can be authentic. You can share with an open heart, but if there's still a block with, with, the communication, if they still do something that you have very specifically and explicitly said is a big time no, then that's their fault. That's not yours. That's their problem to deal with. That's what they got to take ownership of. And that is where we can, we can delineate that line and give ourselves the grace of also recognizing that we are human. You know, we are amazing women who are just absolute queens and we're human. That's the beautiful paradox to live in that, you know, we can be perfecting and we can be perfect as we are right now, that there's nothing to fix or change. And like the more I see women chase after this goal of like fixing something because something's a problem, suddenly the more intense and more, the more acutely aware they become around uh, of the problem instead of on all the other amazing things that they are, on all the other amazingness that they've accomplished, on 
everything that they are a rock star at. And instead, the more granular focus we get on this, the, the problems and the things that we want to change, the more we struggle with changing them and the more we see them as a problem too. So there's a, dan- a delicate dance to, to, to do between giving yourself the grace and accepting that this is our, you, where you are, where you say you are and recognizing where you are and choosing to lean into changing it versus forcing, pushing, making it change, because that's a very actually masculine approach to change. Well, I was just going to say, you've touched on, I mean, so many hot buttons in the sense of women have continued to deal with society or what we think society expects of us or culturally, um, depending on where how you were raised and breaking out of that Um, So how do you get women? I mean, you can probably identify it pretty quick. How can you, how do you help them when you see they're stuck that to just even start owning their own shit? Cause that's really the beginning. We have to look back and acknowledge what was, Um, it doesn't have to define us, but how do you get them to go forward? So moving forward, we really look at starting with from a place of clarity because the hardest position to move from is from this, the learning stage of unconscious incompetence, where you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know that you don't know it. So you think you know it all. And when you're in that stage, you're it's, it, that's the stage that if you think about any teenager who just thinks they know it all, but you're like, come on, <laughs> let's, let's experience some life here. Like you don't know it all. Um, but if you think about a teenager, that's very much the, the stage uh, and the belief system that people are in when they're in that stage of unconscious competence. That's the hardest one to move from. When you move into a stage of conscious incompetence where you're a, you know what you don't know, you don't know really how to change it, but you're acutely aware that there are things that you don't know. And you're on that journey to seek new answers, like listening to new podcasts like this one and exposing yourself to new belief systems, reading books. When you're in that space of knowing what you don't know that you know that you don't know something, that's where you will start catching yourself after you make a mistake, after you blow up at your kids, after you, you know, totally downplay your successes in a meeting after you uh, negotiate for far less than you ever said you were going to negotiate for. Um, and suddenly you're like, oh, dang it. I really, I really messed that one up. And I could have, I could have, I should have held my, my boundary. It's where you notice those things after. So first starts with awareness, acceptance, and grace. Give yourself the grace of the learning process. So often as high achieving women, we can be very easy to put such a spotlight on us because a lot of times, especially in in high positions, there is a spotlight on you, but to put a spotlight on us and uh, on our, on our faults and on the mistakes and to make them bigger than we believe them to be versus seeing them as an opportunity for your learning and your growth. So the number one step is really, instead of seeing yourself as doing something wrong, as right or wrong in, the, in these like black and white lines of just allowing yourself to get open and curious to how did that happen for you? Because you either get the lesson you needed or you get what you wanted. And so if you're not getting exactly what you want, what is the lesson that is repeating itself that is coming up 
And the number one lesson that I see that comes up, especially with women in high in high powered positions, boundaries, boundaries and explicit communication. And for me, explicit communication, I I believe that that is also boundaries. So, for example, to give you a, a concrete example, when I first started dating my husband, he was very uh, open with the fact that he had never committed to a woman for the past seven years since his divorce from his ex-wife. He also was very open with the fact that he did not, he and his ex-wife chose not to have children. And when we first started dating and I was getting very intrigued by this amazing man who cooked for me and uh, who played guitar for me and who totally wined and dined me and who treated me with the utmost of respect and listened to me, I knew that I was like, this guy is, is, is something. But I also knew that those kids are a non-negotiable. And that was a boundary. And I respected him too much to, and I respected myself too much to go on in a relationship for years with not communicate with like, maybe he'll change his mind. May, let me, you know, imply, <laughs> let me like show him cute baby pictures. Let me like try to infer what I think he should want. And for my relationship with my husband has always been on a foundation of candid communication. And so when I started to notice myself like falling in love with him, I said, I, I will, I respect myself too much to allow this relationship to go on farther to not have the conversation about kids early on. And so within three weeks of dating, I said, look, I got to let you know, you got to have kids if you're going to be with me, if we're going to do this long term. If we're going to go forth, forward with this, if we're going to keep on seeing each other, I'm liking you way too much um, in order to not have that conversation. And he said, well, with you, I could see having kids. And I said, great, let's name them. <laughs> and <laughs> the first one we named was Declan. And that was the first one we had. And then we were surprised. We thought for sure we were having a girl. But we, during the pandemic, we decided, you know, COVID baby to go for another one. And we had a, another boy. So that was the level of candid communication that I also had for my career. When I was presented with the opportunity to come on board as an associate producer for a film, because uh, the director who's a friend of mine, uh, he knew I grew up in, in Burbank. He wanted to shoot in Burbank. He knew I would have relationships there. He wanted me to come on and help him produce at like the age of 22. Um, and I said, sure. I said, <laughs> Let's let's go for it because I was happy to try any job in the film industry, and um, I was happy to try most jobs in the film industry. There were some jobs I would not do, um, but that. But when I asked him, "Do you have a script?" he said, "No," and I said, "I think for this scenario, I, said, I think I feel like you need a script. I feel like this is not like an improvised uh, film." And he said, "So we discussed it," and I said, "Why don't I write it?" And he said, "Write ten pages. I'll pass it off to the executive producer, and then we'll see." And I wrote 10 pages, pass it off. I literally got the feedback. How do you know men so well? And then <laughs> they said, sure, go for it. Write the screenplay. And so I, I wrote the screenplay and then my director and I ended up co-writing it. But it was because I audaciously asked. I asked. He came up with a boundary of like, well, how about you just write 10 pages instead of writing a full screenplay? And so we see if it's a fit. And I said, great. So I matched him. And then sent that off. But that was because of explicit communication. The same was true when I uh, got, when I came on board for my e-commerce company, where um, my e-commerce company, 
I was supposed to come on just as a consultant because it was we were selling a back stretching device. And because of my background and my history with teaching Pilates for 10 years, the owner thought I would have value as to like and, and be able to see or consult on the value of the, of the product and, and where it could go. And I saw the value and I said, I don't just want to be a co- consultant. I want to be a partner. And so it was it was always those audacious asks claiming what I wanted, allowing to see if they would meet me. And if they didn't meet me all the way, then like allowing for that negotiation. But it it started with me claiming very specifically what I wanted from a gut space position. That is key to communication is starting with explicit communication. What is it? And uh, it first starts with ourselves. We have to be like the hardest question I ask my clients when we first start working together is what do you want? The hardest question, because we're so focused so often on what we don't want. I don't want a man who does this, this, and that. I don't want to do another uh, a crappy deal. I don't want to take less commission than I'm worth. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to not make six figures this year. Like that. <laughs> that one always blows my mind. But we are so focused on what we don't want that even if that's your response, even if that's your answer, even if you can't really respond to what do you want with clarity. Start out with getting the clarity by and literally listing out all the things you don't want, write them out, and then literally on the separate page, if you take a journal and you write on one side, you write all the things you don't want, all the things you're crystal clear that you don't want, all the things you don't want to do again, you don't want to be talked down by your boss again, you don't want to um, go another year not breaking six figures, you don't want to feel condescended upon by a man, like then what do you want? And I'll literally go to the next page and look at what is exactly the opposite. How do you want to feel? What is it that you want to do? What makes that different than what it is that you want? And then a lot, uh, that what it is that you don't want. And then start focusing your attention on the second page. Focus your attention on what it is that you want. Because here's the thing, your subconscious mind does not know the difference between something real and something vividly imagined. So the more you can focus on what you want, the more your subconscious mind is going to see it as real in its mind. And thus the future is already happening. And because you're calling it in. I had this with one of my clients who was a real estate investor. And she came to me within two weeks because she had a property that she had to find an investor for. And she was freaking. And as we worked together, I constantly kept hearing her saying, like, I don't have an investor. I don't have an investor. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have an investor. I said, stop saying that. I said, yes, you do. You 100% have an investor. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, consciously, you're not aware of your investor. But your subconscious mind, which is tied to what Carl Jung called the collective consciousness, is fully aware that there is an investor out there who's really interested in this property. You're just not consciously aware of it. And because you keep telling yourself that you don't have an investor, your conscious mind is blocking off the subconscious possibilities of you ever finding that investor. So what if instead you just said, I have an investor. I'm willing to become consciously aware of who this person is. I have an investor. I am excited to have them come into my life. I'm excited to meet who they are. I have an investor. I'm excited to see who this person will be. Within two weeks, she had her investor. And that's that's the power of your subconscious mind. And also your subconscious mind does not know the difference 
between saying something when you say something that you're not having, something that you don't have. So if I were to tell you, don't think about chocolate, what you thinking about? Yeah, Reese's peanut butter cups, <laughs> right? <laughs> and even if you were like, oh, she told me not to think about chocolate, and you think about apples, you in you already had the initial thought about chocolate. So you're already doing, you're doing twice the work. So by focusing on what it is that you don't want. So you're making it harder on yourself. So instead, if you can focus on what it is that you do want, then that automatically trains your subconscious mind because your, your subconscious mind does not process negatives. It, it, if you tell like kids between the age of zero and six, that's called the imprint period in psychology, um, are just basically giant subconscious mind walking around. They're just subconscious sponges. And like, if I tell my four-year-old, don't throw the ball in the house, what's the immediate thing that's like coming at my face within two seconds is the ball. So that if we can shift our language of how we're communicating with ourselves to what we want, being clear and explicit with ourselves and our own communication with what we want, being clear and explicit with others about what we want, what we stand for, what our boundaries are, what our values are. And that's how we can start moving forward. Discover adventure, discover luxury, discover Moab with exclusive retreats for your next vacation or event. Wake up to amazing views only minutes from Utah's most breathtaking national and state parks and Moab's best shopping and dining. Enjoy your fully stocked vacation home with private pool and hot tub. Every room is a luxurious private suite, plus daily maid service and private chefs are available. Exclusive retreats. We're not your home away from home. We are better. Book today at exclusiveretreats.com. I want to switch gears just a little bit because I think this kind of will fall into a little bit about what you've been talking about, but typically women in leadership positions, um, we are put, decision-making is put in front of us. And some of us are do really well, whether it's with work or personal, um, where we have to come to a place where we have to make a decision. And you recently did an episode on decisions and you just kind of dissected it so well, I would love for you to speak on that and, and why that holds us back so much and what we can do to embrace it more. Yeah. So, so most people don't decide and that's, that's the problem. And most people live in the land of wanting. They would like to do. They're trying. And if you just take a second to step back and listen to your language around something, a goal that you've been working toward, have you decided that that's already happening? Have you decided that that's a non-negotiable? Like so often when a goal or a, a vision or a dream that we're looking to manifest is not coming into fruition, it's typically because we haven't decided that it is. And there are three steps to decision-making, which I shared in my, in my recent TEDx talk, that the first step is, is to decide. And to decide literally in the word, the, the etymology of the word, it means to kill or cut down. So we're familiar with side, like homicide, homicide to kill a human. Um, don't do that. Or, <laughs> or let me reframe that for your subconscious mind. Uh, keep humans alive. And <laughs> the decision, though, to decide means you're cutting down any other possibility that that is not happening in your life. And so, for example, um, the decision to have children, the decision to go for a promotion, 
to decide that that is that you are unavailable for that to not happen. That like that is happening, period, done. It's happening in one way or another. So maybe have it doesn't happen in the exact form that you thought. Like maybe with children, it, it ends up being you adopt or uh, uh, in vitro or a surrogate or um, or you end up realizing that your business is your baby and like your team are like your kids. And, and so it can, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be in the same form, but decide literally means to cut down any other possibilities of what you're available for. And then once you make that decision, then comes the emotional heavy lifting in a way of the other voices, the other opportunities, the other possibilities that if it's not a clear cut, you'll, you've burned the boat's decision, then you can kind of sail back into the land of trying and sail back into the land of wanting and desire, but it's not really a clear cut decision. And so once you make a decision, it's then consistently recommitting to seeing that decision is happening. So for example, when I'm working with a client who's looking for to achieve a certain income goal, I look for them, I like once they make the decision that they are making, like I'm working with one of my clients to hit her first million dollar a year, and she is decided it, but she constantly was dragging herself back into like, but I'm trying to do this or I'm trying to do that. I said, decide, decide that it is done and then act as if. Now, acting as if one of the biggest things that people do wrong, I don't like to live like right or wrong, but one of the things people biggest things that people do in a way that kind of messes up the results or gives them funky results is they like, especially if it's an income goal, they're like, well, as a million dollar business owner, then I am, uh, I'm going to go out and buy all this stuff. That's not necessarily true because possibly as a million dollar business owner, you're more discerning about your finances. So the, the acting as if a lot of times allow yourself to explore what would it feel like? What would I already be doing if I was making a million dollars a year and allowing yourself to act as if and sit with the question instead of just the jerk response of like, oh, well, I'd go be, I'd go out and buy myself a Chanel bag. Like that's not always necessarily the case. And so while I was working with my client to hit her first million dollar a year, I started asking her to look for evidence that it was happening. So our subconscious minds are constantly needing backup. We have what's called in our brain, uh, our reticular activating system. And it's basically the, what you focus on, you feed. So you're constantly feeding this reticular activating system. So if you're looking at your bank balance and you're like, oh, my million dollar year isn't happening. Or if you're looking at your P&L and you're like, oh my gosh, my million dollar year isn't happening. Then, or like, it doesn't look like it's gonna happen. Then you're reinforcing inside your brain the belief that it's not happening, which means that you're then counteracting the decision, which means that, that was not really a decision in the first place, which means that it was still a more wanting or would like or, you know, trying to do that versus a decision means, oh, my gosh, I just landed a two dollar sale. My million dollar year is happening like it's on its it, way. It's on yeah. its way. Yeah. I just and, and because the more you practice that gratitude and the more you start allowing your brain to see how it's happening, oh my gosh, I just met this amazing person who has, you know, 14 contracts that they're looking to to have me fill. Like that's that's a possibility. Oh my gosh, I met a, an amazing referral. That could lead to my million dollar year. Oh my gosh, this like and allowing yourself to get excited about the possibilities of the potential evidence. It doesn't mean that the evidence says exactly what you think it's going to say, but 
it's allowing yourself to believe that the evidence is there that you're like, this is happening. Humans have to have the belief first. So the decision is backed by the belief that this is how, once you decide that that is a belief. And because if we were to say that you were going to achieve your a million dollar year and you haven't done it yet, that is a belief that you're going to achieve a million dollar year. So you have to decide that that belief is true first, that that belief is true, true for you. That's what Roger Bannister did when he ran the four minute mile. Like before that, everybody else said it was crazy that your heart would explode, that, you know, there's no way a human could run a four minute mile. And then Roger Bannister broke that record. And only six weeks later did another person break it. And then like another two weeks later, another person broke it. But it started with the belief. The other people who followed needed to have the proof that it was happening for that it that was it was possible. Roger Bannister right. proved that it was possible. So the second piece of deciding is facing that emotional contingency and just like a toddler, surround yourself with people who are making that seem normal. So if you're going for, let's say, a goal like a million dollar year, and then surround yourself with people who have already done a million dollars, whether that's listening to their podcasts or joining their communities or connecting with them on Facebook, joining a mastermind, joining a paid program. Like I'm a part of a fabulous program called the Dames. It's only for six and seven figure business owners. It just, there's a change in the conversation. And so that allows me to connect with other people who have made more money than I have, made less money than I have. But there's that, there's that boundary line that we're all connecting as six and seven figure business owners. And so that, that is, allows me to be in a different kind of conversation than with somebody who's trying to get to that, that point. So you surround yourself with people who are making that goal seem absolutely normal because that's how we walk as toddlers. That's how we learn. When I was watching my son learn how to walk, he like it's scientifically studied that a, a toddler falls 10,000 times before they actually successfully walk. And yet they're not beating themselves up every time they fall on their butt about that they, you know, oh, I'm a failure. I'll never walk again. They're not going down that whole spiral. Why? Because everybody else around them is walking on two legs for the most part. And even if you're grow growing up in a household where there's a handicap, you still see for the majority of humanity, people walking around on two legs. And so it makes it normal. So surround yourself with voices, with people, with belief systems who normalize your belief because what got you here will not get you there. And so this was one of the problems that uh, one of my clients was facing when she was trying to start her business. So she'd been successful as a career massage therapist for a while um, and, and built a successful six-figure, uh, not business, but career doing massage. And she wanted to shift into having her own business. And as she wanted to make that shift, she constantly kept on looking to uh, advice. She would look to advice from me and then from her mother. Well, her mother had been a 50 year corporate employee. She had never started her own business. She had never taken the risk of um, going out and even getting a new job because she had, she was a baby boomer who was in that same realm of like, they just, you get a job and that's what you do for the next 50 years of your life. And so she was giving her advice that was totally counter to what, I was guiding her and, you know, opening her eyes and showing her some other people and connecting her with some people like, but because her mom had such a strong influence, 
it took her a long time to get to the point where she was actually even starting her business. Like she constantly would do these stop starts and stop starts and stop starts. And maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just work a little longer in, in this one job. And that's fine if that's your conscious choice. But if you really have a goal that you want to start a business or transition out of your corporate career into something new, then looking to the same mentors who guided you into your corporate career may not be the right path if you're starting your own business to find mentors who've already started their own business. Because I can tell you when I've, when I've worked with people who have moved from corporate into, um, into starting their own business, the difference is when you have your own business, you're in every role. Unlike in your role in corporate, you had your one role. That's the role you played. You played it very well. You played it for a very high salary. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be good at every other role when you move into the role in your own business, like bookkeeping, marketing, um, social media, podcasts, interviews. Like there are all different types. And what do you need to focus on then? You know, because that's and that's the big thing. So looking at who are the mentors, who is the support, who can normalize that your goal is totally doable. So one of my favorite quotes, sayings is anytime I hear, especially a woman, do something that I'm like, oh, that's cool. I say, if she can, I can too. Even if it's something that I don't want to do. Even if it's something that I'm like, yeah, I have no interest in that. If she can, I can too. Because every skill set is learned. Every skill set from the skill set of decision making to the skill set of uh, building a business to the skill set of speaking extemporaneously. Like if you had asked me um, years ago if I would be speaking extemporaneously without like a page load of notes to, to guide me, I would have thought like you were a crazy person. Because like my first courses that I produced back in like 2018, I literally, I scripted everything. Now I'm very comfortable speaking extemporaneously because I've had to practice. I had, I had to practice a specific skill set. Every skill set is learned. And so, yes, you will be falling on your bum. And if, so long as you don't make falling on your bum wrong, and you just get back up like a toddler and adopt that like toddler mindset and you're surrounding yourself with people who make that normal. And especially when you surround yourself with people who are a few steps ahead of you, who make that success seem normal, when they look back on your mistake and you're like, oh my gosh, and you think it's like the worst thing ever, they're like, eh, I did that, it's fine. <laughs> like it probably, it, it may be a small detriment. You, you can fix it like this. You can, you can pivot like this, but eh, you'll be good. Well, and I think that's what holds so many of us back just in general when it comes to making a decision. We're so afraid of what that decision is going, what we're, the fear kind of holds us back. And if we can just embrace that once we do make that decision, whether it fit us well or not, I don't want to say right or wrong, because I don't think there's a right or wrong in it. It's just what it is. And we have to decide, like you just said, either to pivot from that, learn from that, and then we move forward in a different direction. And then to expand on that is because what got you here will not get you there. Also, who you have been will not be who will get you there. So there are new habits. There's a new identity. There is a new belief system. There's a new feeling. There's a new thinking process for the million dollar version of you or whatever goal you're looking to achieve versus who you have been. And it's about shifting that identity and allowing yourself to be wrong about who you have been in order to be right about who you're becoming. Allowing that old identity to, in essence, die, to decide, to let that 
old version of you die. Like when I'm working with, uh, especially a high achiever, to give you an example, I was working with a client and she had so much self-loathing and trauma from childhood and just like, and I, I, I felt for her powerfully because she and I had very similar upbringings. And yet she was letting that, that self-loathing, guilt, blaming herself programming really enter into her decisions. And the biggest shift that had to happen was that she had to let go. She had to be wrong, which was the thing that she was most scared of in the world. She was so scared about being wrong. She hated being wrong. Like nobody likes that conversation, but she hated being wrong. And she had to be wrong about who she had been in order to create who she was becoming. And that created the greatest transformation. But that's, that's the thing is that you have to be willing to sacrifice to side your old identity of how you have shown up in the world to become who you're going to be. Like when I wanted, when we decided to stay in Australia and basically that decision meant that we were turning into a single income household because my husband's industry was completely on hold and my business had to sustain us. And I had to decide that not only was it going to sustain us in like, as it had, but it was going to allow us to thrive and in, in an epic way. And that was the decision, but it required me showing up for my business differently. It required me hiring more team, which then meant I had more people to manage, which was another level of responsibility, which was another level. It required me putting more systems and processes in place so that I could remove myself from the daily uh, decision-making of some decisions. Like it allowed me to um, decide that this was the process that we were following instead of like, let me be my own bottleneck. Cause that's the biggest thing for most entrepreneurs is they're the biggest bottleneck. For sure. We get in our own way. (laughs) We get in our own way all the time (laughs) and allowing ourselves to say, okay, where am I getting in my own way? And like, for example, we have with the podcast, um, I brought on an editor for it uh, because I had uh, an ops manager, but she, she, I had to decide to have her elevate her role as well. And so it was from that decision-making that I constantly was elevating and I had, I brought on somebody else to do the editing guided them through how we wanted the editing and then created the streamlined process so that no longer was I doing the decision-making on the final edits so that I could have somebody else listen to the final edits, say, yep, that's really good. Send it off. Great. Super empowering to, to everybody. Super empowering. Yeah. Well, I think what you are doing is amazing work. Um, I, I can think about, you know, just where Deanne and I are in our roles um, as leaders and probably I'm sure you've done the same, Deanna, where I look at where uh, I'm held back. So I'm hoping with all of our listeners out there, they're going to listen to this and see where they can crown themselves. Um, tell us, Kimberly, how can our listeners get a hold of you? If you like this conversation, if it resonated, if it hit struck a chord inside of you and you want to really create that new you in 2022, then definitely just go on over to crownyourself.com and click the button that says work with me. And I would love to have a conversation to dive deep into your life, the transformation that you want to have and what you get to create, who you get to create yourself to be, which is the most exciting part for me, uh, seeing that and those results in my clients when I see them become who they sometimes didn't know that they could become, but I get to hold that space for them and see who they evolve into. If you want that for you, then just come on over to cryingyourself.com and click the button that says work with me. And I would love to have a conversation. 
but we'll make sure to have everything in our notes so that they know how to get a hold of you. And we'll put all of your social media in there as well. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, Kimberly, your work is so empowering. And that's, that's our whole focus is empowering women to be the best version of themselves. And so your work is just congratulations to you. And thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much for having me from a queen to two amazing queens. It was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate you sharing the space with me and inviting me in. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment.